What we're doing here is illegal in so many places throughout the world. I think about the verse that says, this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. And all I could think about is how I'm on the other side of the planet right now, thousands of years later, after God had written this for us. And here it is, still growing, still moving, still saving lives. God's still showing up and taking the chaos that the world makes and saying, you know, I'm going to turn it around on the enemy and I'm going to continue to grow my church throughout it. And we get to be a part of that. Truly, 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 all praise goes to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, you're good. Not just because we are told that you're good, but because we have experienced your goodness. And God, your goodness reigns through the chaos. Your goodness reigns through the pain. Your goodness is here with us when we who are And have been lost and condemned already have been saved by your glorious grace and mercy. Because you chose in your love to pursue us when you owed nothing to us. So I pray that you would help us this morning to open our hearts and mind. To see the great creator, the eternal God and king. And help us to know now, today, in our own personal lives... Not just from the beginning, but today you are the creator. And God, you are king, you are eternal, and you are building and creating something in, each, in, in the each individual life of all those who believe in your son, Jesus. Encourage us with these words. We pray it in his name alone. Amen. You may be seated. We're in Genesis chapter 1, continuing And today we're going to have fun with it as we look at day four, day five, and day six. Kids, you here with me? Can you see me? I need need to look around. I need to see all of the kids looking at me right here. Okay, I got you. Now, if you're watching online, I want you paying attention as well because I'm going to give you some opportunities throughout this lesson to scream at me. Sound fun? Sound fun, but you got to pay attention. So, Pay attention as we get into day four, day five, and day six, and get ready in the comments for some of the things that I'm going to prompt you on today. So let's review. Let's get what we're into. We've asked the question over our series, how did we get here? And that's not just a question that is in terms of coordinates. That's a question that really is about curiosity. It goes deeper than just trying to answer why or how did we get where we are right here and now. The question goes deeper. How did we get to where life is the way it is? Why is it the way it is? And as we move through Genesis, we will answer that question even more. And that curiosity of that question will become more and more evident. We learned in the first week that God, he is what? He is eternal, that God is creator and that God is king. Second week, we learned that God likes to take this thing, chaos, and show us something from it. Show us how he can actually bring order from the chaos. How the chaos has no control over him. How he controls the chaos. And then we started getting in last week into this process of order. Into this process of creation as we see the first three days of creation. Let me recap them real quick. We see on day one that when God spoke, he created light. On day two, he created atmosphere. In day three, he created the land and the plants. And we're going to get into day four here in just a second. So let's look down at chapter one, verse 14, and let's look and see what happened 
on day four. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And the stars, and God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and then there was morning, the fourth day. We see day four, God created simply this. He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, kids, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be prepared, not yet, not yet. I want you to be prepared to tell me if you could go to any planet in our solar system, which planet would you go to? And you may be asking, kid, well, what's a planet? I want you then to lean over and whisper to mom or dad, hey, what planet should I say? And mom and dad be ready to give them a planet. If you're watching in the comments, go ahead and start putting in the comments, feed up this, this, this feed here with whatever planet you would love to take a spaceship to and visit. Because as we get into the fourth day, we see this great expanse that God has done. He has put within the sky, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Don't scream it out yet. I'm going to go like this. Everybody watching? I'm going to go like this. When I go, I want to hear you say, which planet? But not yet. It's going to come at a time you don't expect. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look down at verse 20. Mars. Tatooine. Oh, silly, silly. We can use Star Wars planets. But I did hear Pluto, amen, because technically it's not a planet, but it is a planet, amen. Pluto's definitely a planet. I think we found that out a couple years ago on the Voyager satellite, took the, the first like true close readings and it was like, oh yeah, it is a planet, but you know, we don't want to admit we're wrong, so let's not change it, let's keep it non-planety. My childhood is filled with Pluto being a planet. The sun, the moon, and the stars were made on the fourth day. I'm going to point out a few things and we're going to move right to the fifth day, so stay with me. We see here that God has put the lights in the expanse. So you have the light that is coming from the stars. You have the light that is coming from the sun. And you have the light that is coming to the moon. But he does not use the word sun and moon in Genesis chapter 1 here, does he? What does he use? He uses the word the greater and the lesser light, one to rule the day and one to rule the night. And he separated the light from the darkness. You know, we read this and we see what God is doing, but inside, knowing the scripture, knowing, knowing what God has done throughout all of the scripture with this idea of light and darkness, we know it means something deeper. God is doing something even within his creation to tell a story and to paint a picture, to open our minds, to see something that goes deeper beyond just what's happening visually. We're going to get into it here in a minute why he talks this way. Let's look at day five. Look what happens on day five. Verse 20. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly around above the earth across the expanse of heavens. Stop. Kids, get ready. I want you to tell me what you think the scariest sea creature 
on planet Earth is. You don't say it now. You got to wait for the moment and you don't know when it's coming. Scariest sea creature on the planet. If you're watching at home too, put it in the comments. Scariest sea creature. Get it ready, but you got to watch and wait because I'm going to give you the prompt. All right, let's move. Day five. He tells the waters to swarm with living creatures and he says the birds to fly above across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply. And, what, and so it was the evening and morning on the fifth day. You ready, kids? Here we go. I'm not going to do it yet because we want to say this. I want you to look here. God created the sea creatures and the birds. No! Do I, what did I hear? Iguana? Oh, piranha. Giant squid, which I just found out. I found out that giant squids and whales fight. Did anybody else know that? I just found that out. They went like a big sperm whale washes up on the sea. It has all these claw marks on it and like that's a giant squid, which we don't see because those things live so far deep down. We know very little about them, but we know they exist. They have these like big claws and all of their tentacles and whales eat these things. And apparently there's thousands of these things fighting constantly. As I've been talking, apparently like hundreds of, hundreds of whales and squids have been fighting right now. So we said squids, of uh, iguanas, piranhas, all types of things that are scary within the sea. So what did God do on the fifth day? God within this crazy, crazy ocean that we know very little about caused it to swarm with living sea creatures. But he uses some more terms in there that are very interesting, like the great sea creatures, scary, big, great sea monsters. We're going to come back here in just a little bit why he used that word. Let's go to the sixth day real quick. Let's see what happened on the sixth day. And kids, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. You got to get ready. You got to get ready to scream out your favorite animal that's on the land. So your favorite animal that lives on land. Let's look at the sixth day. The sixth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Go! Naked mole rat, cheetah, warthogs, chickens. Chickens are my favorite tasting animal, that's for sure. That would have been a good one. Slugs. Some people eat slugs. God has created everything that creeps on the ground, that walks on the land. He created it. He created the sea creatures in the sea, the birds in the air. And then when you look to the stars, you look to the sky, you see all the stars, you see the sun and the moon. God put it all there. So let's recap. Look at the screen here. Day four, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day five, he spoke and sea creatures and birds became alive and filled both the air and the waters. Day six, he created land 
animals. Simply put, that's the simple reading. That's what we see in Genesis 1. So here's the question. What does this mean for me? I think when we read through Genesis 1 and we see like this very specific order that God's doing, we know, we know in our heart he's communicating something a little deeper. But we struggle, we struggle, especially today where we are thousands of years later, not in the times of the ancients that would have been reading this during the time that that was written. I think we struggle to truly naturally grasp what it is God's communicating besides just the creation. Does that make sense? It's like when you watch like a, a, say a a Pixar or Disney movie and kids are laughing at everything that's going on, but then they'll throw in some type of like mom and dad reference to like an old show or some type of inside thing and the kids are just staring blank at the screen and mom and dad's over there laughing. Mom and dad get it, right? Because it's relevant to them. It's using something that they can understand because of the time they grew up in or have the understanding and the kids are just sitting there like, oh, oh. Oh, this is part of the story. When we read Genesis, we're like the kids. We got to look back at mom and dad back in that day and to say, what in the world, what in the world is God communicating deeper than just the creation? And that's what we're going to get into here in a second. So before we can say, what does this mean for us right now? Here's what we're going to look at. What did this mean back then? What I mean by this is if you were going to read Genesis 1 and God's using some very specific terminology, what is it he's actually communicating beyond the simple creation. Well, let's look back at the days. Let's look back at day four, day five, and day six. Let's start with day four, and here's what I want us to see. When someone would look and they would read, there's a a deeper meaning that would go through the mind. The sun, moon, and stars are just lights, not God's. Very interesting, because when you and I read verse 14, we don't think that. We don't, we don't, our mind doesn't, Take, our mind doesn't take our eyes off of these things in the sky and remind us, oh yeah, I shouldn't bow down to these things. These things aren't God. We don't do that because now we live in 2020, we have technology and we can look up and see, oh, these things are less than earth. They're made up of very simple elements and they sit there and they emit light, right? Look at day four. God created the lights, the things in heaven for a specific purpose and reason. And that purpose was to be a servant to him. And to, to serve the earth with what? With light. Look at this. Verse 14. If you look back at Genesis 1. He says this. And this is very important. Let me get there. I've got to turn my page. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. You see right there? Genesis 1 is communicating Here's the purpose of these things. You and I are like, yeah, cool. Back then, they would have to be reminded, hey, these things are not gods. They're not divine. They they have simply been put there by God to serve him and to give light to you. This is their purpose. Navigation, times, seasons, light, purpose, actually for you, not you for them. Look what it says next. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Another thing that's very interesting about what's happening in the creation account is that God is speaking. And when God speaks, obedience follows. The creation is being obedient to God's word. 
which is very interesting when we read this and we see the obedience of creation, but yet when God speaks in our life, we tend to not be obedient. And it makes me think of when Jesus cursed the fig tree because it wasn't doing what it was designed to do. He cursed it and it withered and it died because it was pointless. It was going backwards in the creation process. This was not good. But what God makes is good is when he speaks, there is obedience. There's multiplication and there's life filling the chaos. God made the two great lights. Now, if I were to ask you, why in the world would God call them great lights? And then why in the world would he not use the word for sun and moon? Why would he use the word greater light, lesser light? It says here, says that God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day. Which one's that one? The greater light to rule the day. Which one's that? The sun. And then he said the lesser light to rule the night. That is the, what do you think that is? That's right, kid. You guys got it. That's the moon, right? And the lesser, the moon doesn't emit light. It just reflects light. God uses greater and lesser. Why is that? That's because the sun and the moon were looked at constantly as deities and gods. And so when God inspired this word to be written, I believe he's using proper terminology about what these things actually are. Instead of using the words that would have triggered God or deity or something special about them. They were made so reverent and putting, put so much divine qualities to them that people would cut themselves and pray to these things and look to these things, seeing them, the moon, as the cause of mental illness. That's where we get the word luna, lunar, which means lunatic. We get lunatic from that because people thought moonlight caused people to go crazy. These were the beliefs. And so God writes in Genesis 1 to say, no, I made these things. They have a purpose. And guess what? They're good. But they're just that, a greater light and a lesser light. They're not God. Look what he says about the stars. So many of us are looking up into the expanse of heaven and in awe of the beautiful galaxies and the nebulas and the quasars and everything that we see and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. But back then, man, the stars determined your life. Whatever star you were born under or constellation, they governed and determined and chartered your life. This was called astrology and it's evil. But people would think, based off what stars they were under or born under, that somehow that had control over their destiny and their fate. And that is just not true. Look what God says concerning these majestic, wonderful things that seem limitless and endless in the sky. And it says this, and he made the stars. So underwhelming in his description of these celestial bodies. So underwhelming. This, put yourself back in the day of the ancient where you don't have the Hubble telescope. You don't, you haven't been to the moon yet. You're not post other side of the technology we have. Man, to look up in the sky would have been a very curious and wonderful thing. Man, pretty much everything that you needed and relied on and could live, needed to live, came from the sky. So people were constantly tempted to bow down, as Romans 1 says, and worship the creation rather than the creator. So Genesis 1, though it sounds so scientifically relevant today, thousands of years ago would have been mind-blowing. Look at how they're talking about these things. 
that we bow down to. Wait, wait, there's a God? He's in the God of Israel? And he just simply spoke and these things came about? Wait, wait, you mean it's not a God? It's just, it's just a light up in the sky? Absolutely, that's what Genesis 1 is communicating. So that's the fourth day. Let's look at the fifth day. The sea creatures, this is very interesting. The fifth day tells us that the sea, the sea and the great creatures within them belong to God. They are good and they also are not God's. Look at verse 20. God said, let this water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of heaven. So God created, look what it says here, the great sea creatures. Very interesting word. It's the word that is, it's pronounced like tenonym, which means chaotic sea monster, which is a very interesting word back in this day. He created the great chaotic sea monster. Why couldn't he just say sea? Why would he use this word that the surrounding nations would have used to describe the creatures in the sea? You go to Psalm 74, God talks about splitting the waters and he wrestles with the great beast Leviathan. This is where this word comes from. The great beast Leviathan, which was this creature in the sea that was so ominous, so big, so huge that scales could not be penetrated by any weapon. Smoke came from its nostrils and fire ready in its mouth. It's like the description of a dragon. And God says to Job, you can't do anything with this creature. You can't tame it. You fear it. You run from it. And I can catch it with a hook and I put it in the sea as a pet for my amusement. Why would he use... This ancient literature word, when you look back at the Ugarit or the surrounding nations, the Canaanites and the Babylonians, constantly God's people were being tempted to be drawn away into the religious philosophies and beliefs of the surrounding people. And Genesis 1 is taking, and God's word actually does this a lot, where it takes competing religious thoughts and it completely flips them upside down because it would have been relevant for them. They would have understood what he was saying when he mentions the great chaotic sea monster that you are tempted to look at as a God and fear and bow down to and to think that somehow this creature has something to do with why you're here and the creation here or some reason you need to fear it and bow down to it. No, I made it. I made that. That thing too. Oh, and by the way, the false guard Marduk that you think wrestled with this great creature, split it in half, threw the sky up into the air with one part of the body and made the dry land with the other part of the body. You see, they were tempted to believe wrongly about creation. And this was the common belief and the temptation constantly to believe these things. God shows up and says, no, that's not the way it is. Why is the waters being split? Because that's what they believed back then would happen. These mythological beliefs these religious beliefs that are not true, that they believed. Genesis 1 comes in and says, yeah, oh yeah, that sea monster, the, ex- the splitting of the sky, the waters on the ground and the waters above. Oh, God did it. He did it in an orderly fashion. He put it there. And guess what? It's good. It's not some great battle in the past that happened. He is competing and making and setting beliefs straight. These chaotic sea monsters are good. God put it there and God controls them. The attention is supposed to get off of the creation, actually. That's what's interesting. We read Genesis 1. We're actually supposed to take our eyes off creation and put it on God and not be distracted by it. 
We'll come back to that here in a second. Let's look at the sixth day. And we're not doing the full sixth day because we're going to get to man and woman next week. I'm stopping with just the land animals. You look to the sixth day, every creature on earth belongs to God. They are also good. They are not God's. And what's interesting, when you come to verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. You keep seeing this repetitive phrase, according to their kinds, according to their kinds, according to their kinds. It is amazing. Absolutely amazing that when God wrote his word in his sovereignty and his knowledge, he was able to write something that would combat the wrong beliefs of that day and then the wrong beliefs of our day thousands of years later. He knows exactly what he's doing. Because today it's popular to believe that somehow we all came from a single cell, that somehow one day in the, the muck of the vacuum of space, which the space itself didn't even have coordinates and existed. Somehow, somehow lightning came about. Somehow, something so small and infinitesimal exploded, compressed in on itself and expanded and put everything in the sky as we know it. And then somehow over the process of billions of years, you and I have come about, right? We look back and we laugh at these people who would have believed things about like a God who cut a creature in half and threw the sky up from one body part and made the land with the other body part. We're like, how could you believe that? But yet today we believe this came from nothing and we are all the product of just a little cell that has been increasing, increasing over time and it's all random and you and I can contemplate and believe and feel emotion and true love and have pain and have all of these thoughts and even contemplate our own existence, but yet it's all purposeless and pointless. You see, it's the same enemy who's trying to attack the creation of God, trying to put lies in the minds of those who are experienced the creation, trying to divert people's attention away from the creator and put it on the creation. And so when God says, I'm going to make land animals, I'm going to make plants, I'm going to make sea creatures, and I'm going to do this all according to their kinds. That, that is totally relevant today because that's saying there is no way evolution can be true because God has set limit, limits and parameters to his creation. Humans can only produce humans. An uh, apple tree only produces apples. Lions only produce lions because God has put parameters and limits on his creation. And what is the way of man to always mess with that? Try to say, no, that's not good. It's something else. It's what I think it should be. This is what God made. And here we have thousands of years ago written down for us the word that we're told in the New Testament is profitable for everything we find still relevant and profitable today. The gods of the Babylonians, Bel, Marduk, the Egyptian god, Ra, the sun god that they would have looked at and literally sacrificed for because the sun was everything they needed and they worshipped it. The moon that they feared. All of these things were constantly surrounding the people of God and God shows up and he gives them truth. Man, this would, have been, this would have been astounding to read back then. Though we read it today and we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's funny that as time has gone and our technology is able to look up at the stars, we've only just caught up with what God's already saying. Yeah, lights, lights in the sky, they're there, times and seasons, and the stars. And what do we do? We look out through the vastness of space and it's like, wow, it's kind of boring. It's beautiful, but it's kind of boring. We can't find another planet like ours. Yeah, because God put the stars for us. All there, all there. And we come to the land and we see the order and the process of God's creation. He spoke and these things were created. Now, now that you have this 
background thought, you're in this process of thought in mind. Now let's ask ourselves this question. What does this mean for me? So let's go to the next slide and look at this. Before we ask it specifically, though, I want to take you to a verse that Moses said. Listen to this. This is what Moses said to the people concerning the creation of God, and he's going to list almost in perfect order backwards day six, day five, and day four. Look what Moses says. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, saying to the people of Israel, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke, there's something about God being invisible and us not being able to see him that's constantly a temptation for us. When, I spoke, when he spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male and female, day six, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, day six, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, day five, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, day six again, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth, day five, and beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, day four, you be drawn away and bowed down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all peoples under the whole heaven. This, this, this is Genesis 1 at work. A constant reminder to those who were tempted to take their eyes off their creator and put it on the creation. And Genesis 1 comes to redirect our thinking. To dismantle all of the, the known pagan thoughts and beliefs in the day and to remind the people to put their eyes on the things that are not seen, not on the things that are seen. Let me work through this real quick. I want to show you something. He says there, therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. So for them, this was something that, hey, you need, this is very important. You look out for this. Watch yourselves very carefully. And what I'm going, spoiler alert, what I'm going to reveal is that remains here today. And it's even trickier for us because we don't look up at the stars in the heaven and struggle, per se. Since you saw the, no form on that day, next, next uh, highlight says this, beware lest you act corruptly, right? So it's evil and it's wrong to make a carved image in the form of male or female or birds on the land or whatever it may be and worship it and bow down to it. We'll get to why they would do that here in a second. Look at the next verse and then winged bird that flies, creeps on the ground, any fish. See what he's doing? He's pointing out all of the days, these creatures, these creations. Next highlight, sun, moon, stars. But then it says this, and you be drawn away, drawn away. What is this picture? What your eyes see constantly, the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, constantly drawing God's people away from him to something else, to put their faith and their trust in something that cannot help them. That's what's happening, happened for them constantly. What happened when Moses went up on the mountain and he was gone for just a few weeks, right? He comes back down and they literally made a golden calf. What are they doing? Why? We read that, we hear that, and we're like, it's so silly and stupid. And we've judged in our heart as if we wouldn't have done the same thing when we were there. We do the same thing today still, just not in the same form. But look what he says here at the end. Again, the ancients, without the technology we have, because they had the word of God, because they had the inspiration of God, because God was speaking to the prophets, they knew the truth. They knew the truth about creation. Things that the Lord God has allotted to all peoples. 
under the whole heaven, right? These things have just been created and they've been made for you. So you can see me so that you can have the light that you need. You can have the temperature, the atmosphere, everything that you need to live and to survive. I put there for you. And so it is backwards when we look at it and we begin to worship the gift instead of the gift giver. When we worship the creation instead of the creator. Now let me talk a little second about why. I want you to put yourselves with me. Go back thousands of years again and let's think about being in a time where it's not so easy to be in a shelter away from the elements. You know, we're at a disadvantage here. And it's going to sound strange. What I mean by disadvantage is we, are, we're at, we live in such a time where it is so easy to stay safe. It is so easy for us to protect our frail bodies from the elements. It is so easy for us to, even during a time of drought, still have more than enough food in the grocery stores. We don't know what it's like to be so exposed to the curse and the elements of God. We're not in a position to be tempted to want to worship the creation because we desperately need rain to come so my kids don't die. Some people on the earth still know what that's like. And you put yourself in a position where you, yeah, you don't have the technology. You don't see God. You're supposed to believe on him on faith. Day after day after day, there's no rain. You're looking to the clouds. Your neighbors are telling you, yeah, there's no rain because you're not worshiping the sun God Ra. That's what's happening to you. And you hear that over and over and over. Yeah, why don't you come with us and cut yourselves and look, look what's happening. We're getting rain. Constant temptation after temptation after temptation. And then the thought is, I know I was told God not to do this, but just in case, maybe I'm wrong at constant pull and temptation. And next thing you know, because of the desperation and the experience of the weakness and the frailness of life, they go to the creation and they cut themselves and they bow down and they make these carved image by some ways to get the help and the hope that they desperately need. The people in the wilderness, they're in the wilderness. They've been delivered from slavery. They're waiting on Moses to come down from that one. Where is he? It's a desert environment. They're probably starving. So what do they do? Something's got to happen. We can't be patient and wait any longer. Yeah, where's God? He showed up. Where is he? Okay, time to do things our way is the constant way of mankind. We need to look back at Genesis 1 and we need to look at it in a way that will challenge our thinking, not to put our faith and our trust and our reliance in things that cannot truly help. Always divert your attention back to God when you cannot see him and when things seem hard. So let's ask ourselves this question. What does this mean for me? How should we today in 2020 watch ourselves carefully carefully, so we don't act corruptly by turning to things that we can, can see as if they are God's. I don't think we struggle with being drawn away by the moon and the stars. That's why we miss sometimes the impact. We don't struggle with looking at creatures and worshiping them. We don't struggle with that, right? What we, here's what we struggle with. We struggle with faith in man. We put faith in ourselves We have progressed to a point where we are so in love with ourselves and so sure that we can solve all of our problems. We've got it all figured out. Our temptation is always going to be putting our faith in ourself or in man or the ways of man. It's like this. Look, there's plenty of them. There's man's medicine. There's man's money. There's man's education. There's man's technology. There's man's philosophy, man's wisdom, man's strength, man's promises, man's aspirations, man's thoughts, man's ways. And this is the way it's headed. Told in Revelation that the mark of the beast is the mark of the man and we are going, people are going to worship him. Look to a man. 
I mean, think about it. You see it brewing even in the education world. You see it brewing in the hearts of man. Evolution's popular because we don't need God anymore. That's a popular thing. Yeah, we know the truth. We've figured it out. Just like in the Tower of Babel, let us come together and make something that will reach the heavens. Let's exalt ourselves. And this is the way of man. And this is the day we live in a day where we are so sure we can do things on our own. We don't need God. That's a primitive thought. That's a popular belief from the enemy. Hey, if you believe in God, you're you're like these people who believe these old primitive religious things. Things have progressed now and we're at a point where we can figure things out ourselves. Man, we're going to cure cancer one day. Hey, coronavirus, just give us time. We will find a vaccine. We're going to get it figured out. And so what do we do? We hide and we wait and we stand in fear, waiting for some type of circumstance for man to solve our situation. Man, our country is falling to pieces. I look around and I see such instability. I see violence. I see all of this chaos. Man, everything is hinging on this election. We just need the right man in place. Mm, I'm telling you, we are in a place right now where we need to watch ourselves very carefully because when we start feeling the true pains and the reality of life, I tell you what, we're going to be tempted to turn to the things that we can see. And since we don't struggle with worshiping the pagan, cre- the pagan uh, views from the past, we're going to struggle with worshiping ourselves and man today. Genesis 1 should remind us that we need to trust God. When he tells us he made the sea, which represents chaos, when he tells us he made the great chaotic sea monster, which is something that is constantly being referred to as the enemy, looked at as the enemy, and we see God saying that, yeah, I made that, and I catch it with a hook for my amusement. What is God trying to communicate to us? He's trying to communicate, there's nothing, nothing that comes your way that is out of my control. What did he do for Joseph? He actually let Joseph be sold into slavery from his brothers and taken through a myriad of chaos in his life, only in the end to turn it around and save millions, I would believe, of people. And Joseph had the perspective of hindsight to say, wow, all of this chaos came from people and circumstances. My brothers, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Even Jesus. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. The the work of the enemy to try to dismantle the son of God and ultimately got his way, killed him on a cross, did what? It saved us. Destroyed death and the works of the enemy once and for all. So people, if we are experiencing chaos right now, we should laugh and sit waiting to see what God's going to do. Because even if it turns out to hurt us and bring suffering, God will always use it for our good. Always, always. I am not saying in any way that we shouldn't be involved in the world. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying God dwells in the secret thoughts of man. When we stand before him one day, he will know. He will know if we truly trusted him. I don't know you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You just used my name as a way to validate what you really believed and what you trusted in. But when it came down to the brass tacks of life getting real, you always turned to man and yourself. Never turned to me. Never trusted me. Never looked to me. You said you loved me. You associated with my name for whatever benefit that had. But when it came down to real life and putting you to the test, you always turned away from me. I don't know you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. That's a real reality that Jesus paints. Man, it matters the most when life's the hardest. 
This is when we divert our eyes from the sun, moon, and stars. We put our focus on God. Put it on Jesus as the one who has proven himself over and over again. The one who has promised us and he's even written the end that he is going to come back and he's going to make everything right. He's going to take all the chaos, get rid of it. Why does Revelation see? Why does Revelation say the sea will be no more? Why do you think that's important? Because the sea represented the chaos. God is saying, I'm getting rid of it once and for all. I'm doing the work. It's happening. Enjoy the ride. Trust me. Trust me. Where are you at? Let's take it down to your personal life. Chaos in your personal life. What are you being tempted to turn to that you can see? Remember Genesis 1 in these moments. God has created everything and he is over everything. He is the greatest help available to us. Look to Christ and keep your eyes focused on him. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And Father, I'll be the first to admit that when life gets real, I turn to so many other things but you. In my heart, in my heart, I think, and I'm aware of this phrase of what's the point, nothing's going to happen, you haven't done anything, where are you? And I just expect the worst, and then I look around at the things around me, hoping things will get better by means of either my own choosing or the faith of someone else. God, be patient with us, I pray. You've shown patience throughout all of history on your people. Continue to be patient with us and be gracious by turning our eyes constantly back to you as the one who is our greatest help in time and need, our shelter, the one who wrestles every bit of chaos and pain we experience. God, I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. What an awesome reminder. Uh, let's stand as we, as we close with a couple songs. to praise, to glorify 
glorify the name of all names and nothing can stand against I choose to praise to glorify glorify the name of all names and nothing can stand against I choose to praise to glorify glorify the name of all names nothing can stand against I choose to praise to glorify glorify the name of all names and nothing can stand against oh yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes I will bless your name yes I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days oh yes I will for all my days yes I will thing I kept thinking at the end of that message was, God, don't let us out from under your conviction. I don't know about you. Sunday, I have this pattern in my life. And in this midst, when the lights are down and maybe, yeah, there's emotional experience, you feel so close to God and you're like, yes, work spirit in my heart. Work, work. And then you go outside And it's sunny, I hope. 
And then you get blinded from being inside, right? Because the sun comes. And then something switches in your heart. And you forget everything that Jasper just preached. I hope you're different than me. I hope to God you're different than me. But I don't know if we all are. That, that we go out and we just forget everything that Jasper just preached. We forget what God is calling out to our hearts. I was listening to sermons from uh, men I trust, you might say, over the past three weeks based on the, the kind of the full body of, the, of work of their teaching. And there was a quote from one of those that, that I kept thinking about as Jasper was preaching, really, really about idolatry, right? I mean, that's what you were, you were talking about. And it's this quote from Tim Keller. I think some of you know who Tim Keller is, but it is, inordinate love creates inordinate, uncontrollable anguish if anything goes wrong with the object of our greatest hopes. So when, when our love is out of order, when we're worshiping in the wrong order, we're worshiping the created, not the creator, it creates really extreme and uncontrolled anguish in our lives. I think the message for our church this morning is twofold. The first one is, how do we not escape the conviction of God this morning? And that is throughout the course of this week, be aware of emotion in your life that seems out of control because that is an indicator that you have an idol and it's being attacked and you're fighting it in your flesh. And then the awesome thing is that in Christ Jesus, when you recognize that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you are holding on an idol, he can change your heart and turn your heart away from it. And you can say, praise the Lord Jesus, because he's turned me away from that thing, and I can worship the right thing. And that is only one thing, and that is the one true God, and my heart is for him. So that is my prayer for our church body, that we would do that. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. And there might be a tendency when we think about our great failures to be so discouraged and depressed. But then we think of Jesus Christ and he changes us and he's working in our hearts to help us remember him just as the Apostle Paul commanded. Remember Jesus Christ, offspring of David, risen from the dead as preached in the gospel. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would pound into our hearts the gospel of Jesus Christ this week, that we would remember Jesus Christ and that as we get out of control and weird and disordered because of our our false worship, our idol worship, that you would push us back to yourself and that we would raise our hands to you alone, not to created things. Do this, God, not just for our blessing, but ultimately for your glory because you are great and greatly to be praised. And we always pray in the name of your son, Jesus, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. We pray in his name. Amen. You are loved, Summit.